The Maritimes are filled with stories of buried treasure. Most of these stories of hidden pirate treasure are simply not true, no matter what the Oak Island TV show may try and tell you. However, in 1934, two brothers actually did find a real buried treasure of ancient, strange, foreign coins buried near the little town of Bathurst in New Brunswick. But it turned out not to be a pot of gold, but the coins were something much more mysterious. You're listening to Backyard History, the hidden stories that happened in your own backyard. The podcast version of the weekly history column running in newspapers across the Maritimes. With your host and author, Andrew McLean. Nineteen thirty four was not a good year. It was the height of the Great Depression. The unemployment rate was forty percent in the Maritimes. There was no social safety net either, no EI, no welfare, no Canada pension plan, and if you wanted to see a doctor, you had to pay for it yourself. It could take years to pay off a bill for giving birth in a hospital. Leonard Stever managed to have a job though which already made him luckier than nearly half the population at the time. He was the keeper of the Karen Point Lighthouse near Bathurst. On July 11th, 1934, Leonard Stever became even luckier, or so it seemed. The Gloucester Northern Light newspaper wrote, At last, Bathurst fortune hunters have something definite to work on and to hope for in future digging operations. On Friday, Leonard Stever, lighthouse keeper at Karen Point with his brother Andrew Stever, discovered a copper kettle and in the kettle were 111 copper pieces. The kettle was buried in the sand and was discovered when the handle was found sticking up in the sand. The kettle was unearthed near the lighthouse at Karen Point, it is said. The discovery immediately kicked off a treasure hunting frenzy in Bathurst. In the wake of the Stever brothers' find, Amateur treasure hunters began digging everywhere in and around Bathurst looking to find buried treasure. This immediately became a public nuisance as people began digging up their neighbor's property. The Northern Light reported on the treasure hunting efforts. Strange as it may seem, the treasure hunt has not been limited to one or two locations but seems to have no definite direction. The searchers are digging wherever the divining rods detect. So divining rods are actually pretty cool. My grandfather took me out divining when I was a kid up on the North Shore in Tidehead, which is actually not really that far away from Bathurst. We weren't looking for treasure though. He wanted to build a little cabin in the woods, but he would need to dig a well before he built a cabin. You know, for drinking water. But before he dug the well, he had to figure out where the water was. So he took a particular type of willow branch, stripped it of the bark, and split it down the middle. He walked around with the branch lying flat over top of his outstretched hands. He didn't grip the branch so as to not interfere with it, but it lay parallel to the ground, flat across his big hands, which were calloused from working in the old pulp and paper mill. When he walked over a place where there was water deep under the ground, the branch would actually bend downwards towards the water. It was kind of like magic to watch. The ends of the branch actually visibly bent downwards towards the ground, as if trying to reach the water. The divining rod actually worked, and he did find a place to dig as well. 
Now, while I say the divining rod actually worked, I mean to find water. If it actually could find treasure, well, I don't think my grandfather would have kept working in the old pulp and paper mill. But meanwhile, back in Bathurst in 1934, the Northern Light newspaper reported on how the treasure hunters digging with their divining rods was going. Ancient reports of buried treasure on the banks of the Nepisiguit have led to many large excavations being dug in several places. Whether through fear of being discovered or superstition, the treasure hunters preferred to dig after 12pm and by the size of the holes must labor all night. Another superstition of the treasure hunters is that no one must speak a word during the digging and if a conversation must be carried on, it must be done some distance from the place where the excavation is being done. However, despite all of the remarkable nocturnal efforts, the treasure hunters hard work was definitely not paying off for them. Old pails, tin cans, pieces of junk seems to be the only reward of the local hunters to date, although a large piece of chain was discovered buried on Flannery's Point of a depth of five feet last week. On top of all that, all the digging around Bathurst on random people's property was becoming awfully annoying to the people who actually owned that land. Property owners seem to think the would-be treasure hunter should at least not go about the country leaving holes 7 feet deep and 10 feet around on their property. The Stever brothers thought they'd found part of Captain Kidd's buried treasure. At the risk of breaking a lot of hearts, I regret to inform listeners that, despite all of the often repeated stories, Captain Kidd never actually came to the Maritimes. He didn't actually come anywhere close even. In fact, during the time all the stories say that he was burying treasure in the Maritimes, he was actually just about as far away from the Maritimes as humanly possible. He was in Madagascar, in Africa. It was on his final trip in Madagascar that he captured his famously rich trophy ship. His route was very well documented, even back then at the time. First he went to the Caribbean, then he buried his treasure on Gardiner's Island in New York, and then he went home to Boston, where he was promptly executed for piracy. There was no Maritimes trip amid there. So while he did indeed bury treasure, that buried treasure was found almost immediately. And on Lake Captain Kidd's New York buried treasure of gold and precious gems, as it turned out, what the Stever brothers found in Bathurst was definitely not pirate gold at all. They probably figured that out pretty quickly though. The coins all had the same date on them, 1811. Now, that was long after the age of piracy was over, and it was 110 years after Captain Kidd had been executed. The coins were copper, with a two-headed eagle on them. They bore some kind of strange writing in an indecipherable style of alphabet with strange characters, including the letter N's, which were backwards. The Northern Light newspaper updated its readers. The 111 copper pieces have been identified as Russian money. The copper coins are valued at two kopecks of Russian money and bear the date 1811. The strange coins were from the Russian Empire, which by 1934 didn't even exist anymore, having been overthrown and replaced by the Soviet Union. Unfortunately for the Stever brothers, this meant that the coins had no face value. From there, news about the buried treasure only got worse for them, 
it turned out that even the metal from the coins didn't have any value. These particular Russian coins had been minted from a particular type of cheap, soft copper. That means that they didn't actually contain any precious metals. They couldn't even be melted down for the value of the copper in them. After this discovery that the coins were completely worthless, interest in the mysterious Russian treasure faded. As far as I could find, it was never mentioned again in newspapers. It seemed like everyone forgot about it, and even the coins themselves seemed to have disappeared. I discovered this story a while ago, and it definitely stuck with me. It's so weird. There's so many questions. Way more questions than if it was just some pirate's buried treasure. First of all, who would have buried 111 Russian coins, all of the same type, all from the same year, on a beach by a lighthouse near Bathurst, New Brunswick? And how on earth did those coins get there? And who put them there? The whole thing is incredibly strange. But that's all we know, though. And all the quotes you've heard so far is all the evidence we have. So, can we manage to piece together the mystery of the Russian buried treasure based on that? Let's see if we can solve this backyard mystery. So to start with, 1811, which is the date on the coins, was a strange time in Canada. All of those parts of history, like the European exploration, the time of the fur trading, all the French battling the British, the loyalists arriving to the United States, all of those parts of history we're all familiar with were all done before that. So none of that would be relevant to the mysterious coins. Basically, the relatively young age of the buried treasure coins cuts out a lot of possibilities, which, oddly enough, somehow makes it even more mysterious. When I give my friends that read quotes on this podcast the scripts, in order to decide the tone and the speaking style that they're going to use, they always ask me, what is my motivation? So what if we think about it that way? What is the motivation of this person that buried the treasure? It's hard to think of any possible circumstances where the person who buried these coins in Bathurst was not Russian. You see, two Kopec coins weren't worth very much, even in Russia, even back then. A Kopec was basically a penny. Even 111 of these copper coins weren't worth much of anything back in Russia, and certainly nobody would have wanted them in Canada back then. I mean, they weren't even worth the metal they were made out of. There would have been relatively little value in bringing them over. So this means that we're probably talking about someone poor who was bringing over all that they had. We're probably talking about someone desperate. Someone like, perhaps, a refugee fleeing war in Russia. Although the coins were minted in 1811, they could have been buried any year after that. In 1812 was a big year in Russian history. That was the year that Napoleon's Grand Army invaded Russia. The invasion would be one of the bloodiest in all human history, with an estimated one million people dying, many of them ordinary Russian civilians. That invasion would have been a great motivation for someone to try to get out of Russia, and to try to get to a peaceful country like what is now Canada. One possibility of the origins of the buried treasure could be that a poor Russian refugee managed to escape the war and make it to what is now Canada with their family and then rebuild their lives in the new country. The only problem with that theory is that records don't seem to show that very many Russians actually made it to Canada. In fact, 
hardly any at all. However, some did. For example, William Hyman immigrated to the Gaspé Peninsula, right across from Bathurst in Quebec. Hyman made quite the life for himself in his new country, becoming a very wealthy and prosperous merchant. This shows that some Russians made it out and did make it to this region. Unfortunately, we're not super clear on how William Hyman actually managed to escape Russia, because a later house fire destroyed all of his diaries and notes. We do know that he had departed Russia with his family, but not all of them made it. His parents were murdered before they managed to get out of the country. Somehow though, he managed to escape and he made it all the way across Europe, to Norfolk in England. He got a job with a local jewelry maker there who sent him to New York on business. Later he went to Montreal and he recognized the business opportunities that could be found on the Gaspé Peninsula. So all of this shows that there were a lot of difficult steps in William Hyman's story of how he ended up in the region, which illustrates how hard it would have been for others to have also escaped Napoleon's armies to make it to what is now Canada. Not impossible though, but very difficult. It's extremely unlikely that William Hyman himself buried the treasure though. By the time he got to the region, he was already employed and he was already pretty decently off, meaning that he was pretty unlikely to be dragging around a big heavy bag of essentially worthless kopecks with him, let alone burying them near Bathurst. But it is possible that someone else made the same journey. Another possibility is that the Russian who buried the coins might have come over the other way and arrived in Bathurst crossing what is now Canada from west to east. At the time there were actually a lot of Russians on the west coast of what is now Canada in the United States. Back then, what is now Alaska was actually a Russian colony. Russia only sold Alaska to the United States in 1867, some half a century after the mysterious coins were minted. There were outposts back then inhabited by Russians, not only in Alaska, but also in what is now British Columbia, and even as far south as California back then. While these outposts were rather sparsely populated, they still meant that there were hundreds of Russians on the west coast of North America. Could one of them somehow brought the coins all the way to Bathurst? Well, getting across to Bathurst would have been an extraordinarily difficult 7,000 plus kilometer trip. This was long before there was a railway, and the railway came long before there were roads. In fact, Canada was actually only connected by roads about a century ago. Because there was no train, making that trek would have been a long, grueling, expensive, and even life-threatening journey. It would have had to have been accomplished mostly by a series of canoe trips. In my opinion, the biggest issue we have with this theory is that the coins were heavy. That's another clue we have. Each of the coins would have weighed 13 grams for a total of 1.4 kilograms, which is over three pounds. Now I've done a lot of traveling myself. I've been through 37 countries on five continents, dragging around a backpack with all of my worldly possessions in it. And let me tell you from experience, you grow to hate that stupid bag you have to drag around with you with everything in it. You don't want to carry anything around with it that you don't absolutely need like, for example, an extra three pounds of basically worthless coins. So I think that the possibility they came from the West Coast is even less likely than the refugee from Napoleon's invasion theory. But 
Remember our question we were asking about the person who buried the coins. What was their motivation? In order to make such a long journey with those coins, their owner surely must have had a pretty distinct and clear objective in mind. It's really difficult to even come up with a theory of what that might have been. Whatever could they have been after in Bathurst, of all places? Well, back then Bathurst was actually a somewhat important little port. It certainly wasn't a major one by any stretch of the imagination, but it was still an important terminal to load up ships with locally cut timber, and for fishing ships to stop at. Both of those might offer a clue to who may have buried the Russian coins. While being a sailor or a lumberjack would have been extremely hard work, those jobs were at least hiring all the time. And also they didn't really care very much with ethnic origins or the legal citizenship status of their workers. They hired anyone, no questions asked, provided they worked hard. As we saw in the Backyard History podcast episode called The Legend of the Legless Mystery Man, International workers who could not speak a single word of English or French could be hired up to work in logging camps. As you recall, the mystery man in that one was likely Italian. People who worked in the logging camps wanted to build a better life, a life of opportunities. Perhaps they were trying to make some money in the camps before they moved to a big city. Or perhaps they were hoping to work for a while, make some money, and go back home. The fact that the coins were placed together suggests that they were being hidden. It suggests that they may have been a hoard, which means a hidden stash, placed somewhere that the owner would go back and reclaim them. Remember that the only place that the coins had any value, even back then, was Russia. So this kind of suggests to us that the owner may have wanted to go home. Another clue that we have is where the coins were found, by the Karen Point Lighthouse. The Karen Point Lighthouse probably seemed old to the Stever brothers when they found the treasure in 1934. But compared with the age of the mystery coins, the lighthouse was actually pretty new. The Karen Point Lighthouse had been built in 1871, 60 years after the coins were minted. Well, it's possible it's just a coincidence that they were close together. It's also possible that the coins arrived much later than when they were minted. Maybe they were placed by the prominent, invisible, but at the same time relatively isolated lighthouse so that the owner could find them again. The Karen Point Lighthouse was a good two miles from Bathurst. While it would be an annoying walk to make while lugging a kettle filled with three pounds of worthless coins and presumably a shovel, it would certainly be doable. The 1870s were the beginning of a large wave of Russian immigration into Canada. It would be more likely that the coins were deposited around this time, simply because there were very, very few Russian immigrants here before then. It is possible that some of the new Russian immigrants stopped in New Brunswick to work in the logging camps to make some money before they settled in the brand new country called Canada. There were also a lot of Russians who worked on British ships going to and from Canada back then. The British had a high opinion of Russians as sailors. They had a reputation for being strong, capable, and reliable seamen. And they were a hot commodity to have working on fishing and trading ships coming across the Atlantic. However, many British sea captains encountered an annoying problem that their Russian sailors might flee their ships to build a new life in these new lands of opportunity of Canada and the United States when they docked. 
It's possible a Russian sailor came over to the relatively busy port of Bathurst back then on a British fishing ship. And then they skipped off to the woods after hearing they could make some decent money in the logging camps. In that case, it would make some sense that they hid their meager, precious valuables before heading off to the woods where they would be working for months straight. The logging camps were hired, grueling, and dangerous work. Accidents could happen suddenly to anyone. Just look at what happened to the legless mystery man in that podcast episode. Perhaps the person who buried the coins was injured in the woods of northern New Brunswick. Or maybe they even died out there surrounded by strangers who couldn't even speak their language, and their families and loved ones never found out what happened to them. Or perhaps the story had a much happier ending. Maybe, like William Hyman, they became so wealthy and prosperous they had no need for such a small sum of money and simply forgot about the coins they'd buried. Well, we probably will never know the answer to the mystery. It seems that the most likely possibility is that the coins were buried by the lighthouse some 60 years after they were minted by someone who was planning on returning to get them, but never did. But that brings up even more questions. Why would anyone be dragging around three pounds of 111 of the same value coins, all from the same year, 60 years before, in the first place? No matter who you are, or where you are from in history, you're vastly more likely to have a mix of coins from different denominations and from different years than all the same. So I've got no answer to the mystery for you, unfortunately. But those are the three theories that I could come up with that could explain how 111 Russian two-kopeck copper coins, all dated 1811, ended up buried in the sand at the Cairn Point Lighthouse in 1934. If you have any theories on them yourself, I'd love to hear them. Post them on the Backyard History Facebook page. That was Backyard History with your host, Andrew McLean. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for another hidden story that happened in your own backyard. Produced by Jordan Lozier.